really honored to be able to come here and preach. I love the Word of God. I know your pastor loves the Word of God here too. So I'm going to assume you all love the Word of God. And it's amazing how, you know, as a pastor, you you get into the habit of studying and, you know, we go to school and do all these things. And, And you can study, you can go deep into this thing every day of your life for your whole life and there's always new stuff i don't know how god uh, i mean he's god i guess but but it's just it amazes me that there's always fresh insight there's always something that god wants to speak and so this was kind of a fun uh uh experiment for me this is a different kind of approach than i'm used to and so hopefully i do it right i don't know we'll see But uh, I want to talk today about Joseph. You know, I never thought about approaching the Christmas story from just one perspective and looking at one of the characters before. And so, you know, as I began to to look at this, the first thing that I kind of noticed, I I think it was uh, your sons who decided that I should go with Joseph. Because there was a, when we were moving... Uh, for Pastor Witted back there and the, and the Potter House there, I was like, ah, what should I do? I gave a couple of things, and they said, do Joseph. So it was a very spiritual selection process. But uh, as I began to look at Joseph, the first thing that kind of hit me is he's, I guess unsurprisingly, kind of outshined by the other members of the Holy Family, right? Uh, he's kind of in the shadows, Obviously, the real protagonist of the family is Jesus. This is his story, after all, that uh, is all about. Uh, Mary gets a lot of airtime, too, uh, understandably. Um, the miracle of the incarnation happened in her body. I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? We also have, you know, this sort of extended story of her visit to uh, her relative Elizabeth and all the things God did there. And, of course, she appears over and over in in the story of Jesus as well. But Joseph's role is kind of a little bit more hidden. But as I began to look at it, I realized how essential his role is and how inspiring it is. Um, The other thing I kind of noticed, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 1, the other thing I kind of noticed I never really saw before is if you want... Mary's story, you go to Luke. But if you want Joseph's story, you go to Matthew. Did you know Matthew doesn't even contain the story of the angel appearing to Mary? It never even occurred to me until I was studying this, that it only talks about the angel appearing to Joseph in, uh, in Matthew. So anyway, we're going to just read the story and then I'll uh, share a few thoughts and Hopefully be brief, which is the lie pastors tell every Sunday. Um, We're going to start in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Uh, skip a few verses down to chapter 2, verse 13. In the middle here we get the story of the wise men and their uh, meeting with Herod, but I just want to jump back into uh, Joseph's story in chapter 2, verse 13. Now when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he... Uh, oh, sorry, I think I wanted to skip a little bit. Yeah, I'll just read through there. Uh, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he set and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go back to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray really quick. Father, I am so grateful to you. I'm so grateful that you sent Jesus to the earth to die for our sins. So that we could know you, we could be part of your family. We could have eternal life. And all the many, many blessings that come with that, Lord. I just pray that you would help us to hear your word including me, even though I'm preaching it. God, I pray you'd help me to hear your word and be ministered to by it. Lord, and I just ask that uh, your presence would be here and your spirit to just do whatever you want to do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have just a few thoughts um, that I want to bring up. The first thing that just really caught my attention back in chapter 1 and and verse 19. Well, let's let's read 18 here, just to kind of catch something 
interesting that happened. It said, now, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Hey, um, just in case you missed it on the first read, Joseph was not privy to this one little important detail about Mary's pregnancy. And how do we know? Because he was planning to divorce her. So what did Joseph think? Okay, we won't say it out loud in church. But right? All of a sudden, his... Fiance is the closest thing we have in our culture to that, is pregnant. And Joseph is understandably devastated. He's a young man. I mean, best guess we can make, he's probably late teens, early 20s. Mary's pretty young too, younger than we're comfortable with in our culture. She's probably no older than about 14. <clears throat> And as young men do, for those of us who have been young men at one point, and those of you who are, the world is your oyster, right? You're just starting out. Joseph probably by this point has his uh, trade of carpentry already figured out. He did his apprenticeship. He's able to provide for himself, for a family. He's about to get married. I mean, his life is before him. Things are going good. And then... It all comes crashing down because his fiance is pregnant. I love the subtlety that it says in uh, verse 20, but as he considered these things, it's a very polite way. How might you consider a scenario like that? Probably some tears, tossing and turning at night, maybe yelling at God a little bit. But I love what verse 19 says. Despite all of this, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man, a righteous man, was unwilling to put her to shame. Now he was wrong, but he assumed Mary had shamed him. Right? He didn't have all the details yet. He assumed his wife had betrayed him in the worst possible way. And instead of wanting to stick it to her and throw it back in her face, Joseph said, I can't do that to her. He said, I'm going to divorce her quietly. I'm not going to make this a big public thing. I don't want anyone to know. I'm going to sneak over to the courthouse or however they did it back then and and get this certificate of divorce and and we're just going to kind of end this quietly and I want you to think about the righteousness of a man who was more concerned about the woman who he thought betrayed him than himself you know it led me to think Joseph and Mary were living under the old covenant Obviously, because Jesus hadn't even been born yet, right? The old covenant was a covenant of works. It emphasized outward obedience, religious observance, right? The new covenant, on the other hand, is a covenant of grace. 
It emphasizes heart righteousness through a transformation that comes by the Spirit. That That is, I think, one of the best scriptures that really addresses that is, is in Galatians where Paul says, circumcision counts for nothing and uncircumcision counts for nothing, only a new creation. He said it's not all these details that we get so caught up on. What God really wants is a transformation of your heart. That's what he's after. Now, even though there were two covenants, it was the same God. And he had the same character and he loves the same things. God has always wanted heart righteousness, right? It's not that he was okay with a lesser righteousness under the old covenant. It was just a different arrangement, a different agreement, if you will, that he had with the nation of Israel. And so that's why the most righteous people in the Old Testament, someone like, let's say, David... Remember what God said about David? He's a man after my own heart. Inwardly, David was righteous. And here we see Joseph is a man, even though he's living under the old covenant, he was exhibiting new covenant righteousness. It was a righteousness from the heart, full of love and compassion and kindness. He was really exhibiting uh, what Jesus said about loving your enemies. Now, I'm sure he did not consider Mary his enemy, but listen to what Jesus said. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And here, he's understandably feeling betrayed because he's getting ready to end this relationship. He's not willing to raise someone else's kid. No one would expect that of him, right? And yet, even in that, feeling betrayed, feeling shamed, all this stuff, he's covering Mary. He still loves her. He's still going to do the right thing by her. I think that is amazing. God clearly chose the right couple. Amen? He found a man and a woman... Who really, though they were typical in every other way, were righteous in their hearts toward God. Both Mary's response to God and Joseph's response to God show, or even Joseph's response before God showed up, show the righteousness. May that be true of us as well. You know, it's totally fine to be typical in every other way. Sometimes we want to be exceptional. And all God is really looking for is that you have a right heart with Him. We want to have lots of talents. We want to have lots of charisma, lots of personality. And God's not really concerned with most of that stuff. He's just looking for people with a heart that's right towards Him. And He found that in Mary and Joseph. The other thing that kind of struck me in this story is that when God finally showed up, you know, we kind of wonder why God waited till the point he did to show up to Joseph. Give, give a man a heads up, God, you know. Um, <laughs> but something tells me God knew what he was doing. But what God did with Joseph and how God worked in Joseph's life is he wanted to make sure that Joseph became the head of the Holy Family. 
Isn't it amazing that God wanted to make sure there was a dad in the picture? He could have brought the Son of God into the world through a single mother. But he wanted to make sure there was a godly man in that family. Look at verse 19, or verse 20 again. Chapter 1, it says, But as he considered these things, we talked about that, the understatement of the, the millennium, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, number one, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from from their sins. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, he was just kind of telling her what was going to happen, and he was just trying to get her to the point of acceptance. Which is where she landed, right? Okay, be it done to me. There's not a whole lot of participation beyond just saying, Amen. Pregnancy kind of does its own thing. And sometimes you wish it wouldn't progress the way it does. Because it gets harder and harder. But, But Mary was just really there to accept it. But when the angel appeared to Joseph... His purpose was to get Joseph to take responsibility for this family. First thing he said is, don't be afraid. You need to marry that woman. I know you don't want to. I know you think she betrayed you. He clears that up. It's from the Holy Spirit. This is God. I know it looks messed up. I know you might need to omit some of the dates so that people start... Don't start doing math. You know y'all have done that before um, with people. Well, you know, I, you know, he's saying, I, I understand all the awkwardness around this, but don't be afraid. Marry that woman. That's number one. That's a, a big responsibility. For all of us guys who are married, you know those weeks and months leading up to the wedding, you start going, whew, this is serious. Because you're realizing the weight of the responsibility. I am committing my life to one person to care for them, to protect them, to cover them. So first he says, don't be afraid to marry her. Secondly, he says, she's going to have a son, but you are going to name him Jesus. Now, to be fair, the angel did say that to Mary too. He said, you'll name him Jesus. But anyone remember that that episode with Elizabeth and Zechariah, you know, and and John the Baptist. John the Baptist is born after all the the stuff that went on, and Elizabeth goes, his name is John, and everyone argues with her. No one in your family's given that name. And what had to happen is the father, Zechariah, runs up and he can't talk, because God took away his voice, and he writes on a tablet, his name is John, I imagine he underlines John a couple of times, because he was given that name by God. And when the father named him, no more arguments. And so when the angel says to Joseph, you're going to name him, he's already named in heaven, but you're going to confer that name on him, that was a way of him saying to Joseph, you're owning this child. 
You're owning this family. You marry her and you, and you take responsibility for this child. He made him the head of the family. You know, this, this concept is not terribly popular in our culture. But it's divine order. And God established divine order in the holy family. In our culture, we hear the word head. And we think control. But that's not at all what the Bible says. The biblical notion of headship in a family is about covering, responsibility, leadership. And just to prove this, can we flip over to Ephesians 5? Some of you know exactly where I'm going, and some of you this might be a a moment of revelation. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to start in uh, verse 25. Now we'll start in verse 22. Verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands! So now he dealt with wives, right? Here's your role. I know we're all uncomfortable and it's okay. Uh, husbands. Now he, now he turns to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. So his first instruction to these husbands who are supposed to be the head of their household is he says, you need to love your wives in the same way that Christ loved the church. And the first thing he says, the way that Christ loved the church, is he gave himself up for the church. True biblical headship is when a man is willing to sacrifice everything for his wife. It is not about control and getting my way. All the godly husbands said amen. (laughs) That's not what being the head of the family is about. It's about sacrificing for your wife's good and for your family's good. I liked how one man put it once. Um, He said, being the head of your family looks like this. You work and slave all week long. Get to Friday, they give you your check. You take your check home and you put it in your wife's hand and you say, go meet the needs of the family. And this was a guy who was, was talking with a lot of... He's in pregnancy center ministry, which I do as well. Talking to a lot of guys coming in who did not have that concept of being a father, being the man of the house. I know we could argue the details of that, but the main point is this. A godly man gives everything he has to his family. Keeps nothing for himself, and he's fine with that. What did Christ keep for himself? Literally nothing. He gave up everything he had for the benefit of the church. It goes on to say this in verse 26, that he might sanctify her, that is, Jesus might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water uh, with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, this is describing Jesus' vision for his church, right? This is what he wants. And so what did Jesus do? Lay a bunch of requirements at the feet of the church and say, you better shape up because this is what I want you to be. Instead, he said, this is what I want the church to be, so I am going to give everything I have so that you have all the resources you need to do what you want to do. Isn't that what the scripture says? Verse 20, was that 28? In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. You know how I, modern vernacular of he who loves his wife loves himself. We say happy wife, happy life. Isn't that basically what he's saying? You love your wife well, you're going to do well for yourself too. (laughs) Alright, I'll move on from that. Uh, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. I just want to point out that this is what godly headship looks like. It is self-sacrificial. It is serving. It is covering, protecting, providing. Doing all things for the benefit of the family instead of self. Because that's how Christ modeled that for us. And this is what God was calling Joseph to do. Right? Uh, a lot of uh, our Catholic brothers and sisters, they refer to Joseph as the foster father of Jesus. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? Because it wasn't technically his kid. He had nothing to do with that. But God asked him to raise that kid. And he obviously taught him his trade. Right? Jesus is called a carpenter later, and his father was a carpenter. So obviously he's... Treating him just like all the other kids, raising him, teaching him the trade of the family, and taking care of him. And this is what Joseph was called to be. <clears throat> so my final thoughts on this is, we need to understand that, that God didn't just choose Mary for this assignment. He chose Joseph as well. The quiet, steady, sturdy righteousness of both Mary and Joseph made them the ideal family for the Son of God. That's what God saw in this couple. My encouragement to all of us is this kind of righteousness. Hear this. That kind of just simple... You might be... I don't know what the word is. Uh, Not terribly special in any other way. (laughs) You don't stand out of the crowd in any other way. You may be typical in every other way. But if you have this kind of just simple God-word righteousness that purifies your heart, that is enough to catch God's eye. Scripture says His eyes are searching to and fro throughout the earth, looking for someone who can show himself mighty on their behalf. Did he show himself mighty 
in the lives of these this couple. You know, one final thought. I realized I forgot. I didn't write it down, so I didn't say it. Interestingly about Joseph's role as the head of this family. Um, You guys remember how many times Mary was visited by an angel? Just once. You know how many times Joseph was visited by an angel? Four times. God appeared to him and said, you need to take her as your wife. You need to name that child. When Herod was scheming to kill all the kids, God appeared to Joseph, not to Mary, to Joseph and said, you need to get out of here and go to Egypt. When the coast was clear, God appeared to Joseph and said, all right, you can go back now. And then as he goes back, he starts to get worried about going into Judea. And it says he has a dream at night. And the angel basically goes, you're right. Go to Galilee. Don't go to Judea. God is leading the husband, the father, the man of the house to, to lead this family where he needs to go. And that's a challenge to us husbands. We need to be hearing from God. It's not to say that our wives can't hear from God or shouldn't hear from God. My wife heard from God just the other day and... Change the course of some things in our life. <clears throat> but God gives us the responsibility. So let me get back to my final thought here. That we need to understand that, that this kind of just quiet, simple righteousness is enough to catch God's eye. And to earn you a divine assignment that could change the world. Mary and Joseph were not looking to change the world. Nothing to indicate that they were like ministry-minded people. Oh, we're going to go do great things for God. They're just young people starting out on their life. God sees them and he goes, this is the family where I'm going to bring salvation into the world through them. And So I want to encourage you guys. <clears throat> Joseph, I, I am so inspired by... This is the first time I ever really looked at him. I'm so inspired by Joseph. He's a righteous man. How many of us would respond like he did in the same situation? Don't answer that. (laughs) He was a godly man. He loved God. He loved people. And I think that's all I got for now. But I just want to encourage us. Let's be the kind of people that God's calling us to be. I know the details of how that plans out, how that works out is sometimes hard. That's why another verse says, try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord, because you kind of got to discern it sometimes. It takes a little thought. But let's be the kind of people that are trying to discern what is pleasing to God in everything we do. Amen?